Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talk to our friend Doug Brown, Blue Bomber color analyst, Canadian Football Hall of Famer. On the CFL's return-to-play adjustments today, they're going to start now, or try to, August 5th. So we'll talk about the impact this will have on players and training and how he's doing, by the way, in the offseason, a very long offseason. And we'll also talk about racism in sport and a campaign launched today here in Winnipeg to address that issue. That's all coming up on the podcast. Big news of the day, the Canadian Football League is going to try to start its season now August 5th. The original plan was June, and now it's August. And joining me to talk more about this is our friend Doug Brown. Doug, how you been keeping without football? <laughs> well, we had a little NFL interlude there, but That's yeah, right. just as anxious as uh, anybody in terms of getting things straightened out and and seeing a light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to CFL scheduling and what is going to happen in 2021. Obviously, there's been a lot of distraction, a lot of talk about the XFL, but it's great to hear some CFL-centric plans, even though they're not uh, set in stone. At least uh, there's communication out there, and and people have an idea of an expectation. You know, Obviously, uh, June and July are going to be a little bit of a hybrid year for football, but uh, it would be certainly novel and unique, that's for sure. So, just good to hear something out there and some sort of a template available. Have you been hearing anything for over the last couple of months? Because what I've been seeing online is basically, why isn't the CFL saying anything and a bunch of people speculating about what the XFL talks have been? What have you been hearing, or has it been mostly speculation that you've been encountering too about what all the CFL landscape looks like right now? Yeah, you know, it's just, I think it, the league really struggles with you know, making tentative plans when, you know, you have an incomplete assessment of what's going on. You're so dependent on, on ticket and gate receipts. And yet you have no assurances. You don't have protocols approved yet. No assurances of fans in the stands. It gets real hard. I can imagine the frustration, especially the the scheduling logistics of trying to come up with template after template and, and provisional and, and molds and, and different scenarios that they might have to enact. So, uh, it's just been, you know, got, people want to set their schedules and, and their calendars and, and, you know, put that uncertainty to rest and, and beyond them in terms of there is going to be football in 2021. Hopefully, well, it's certainly going to have nothing to do with the XFL. And actually, uh, when it when you talk about all the rumors and speculation innuendo about the XFL, um, you know, this is kind of uh, the, a season, a 14-game schedule where – you don't have to worry about that at all. There will be no none of that influence in any way, shape, or form. And hopefully, Canadian fans can come out in uh, Canadian football fans can come out in droves and uh, do their part to just uh, eradicate or strengthen the the negotiation position of of the CFL when it comes to any sort of talk about uh, you know collaborating with any other league. This is kind of uh, 2021 will be the CFL's last dance, I think, in order to. Uh, really impress upon their bottom line as, as can they be a standalone, uh, you know, entity going forward. I think the big thing about the last couple months since the CFL put out there that they were having discussions is the fact that that's all that was out there for CFL fans to talk about, <laughs> yeah. right? There was nothing yeah. else. So all we were doing was just kind of running in circles about what this could mean. Yeah, and why and, you know, what it was based on. It's just so funny because, you know, before – this pandemic, 
Uh, obviously, we saw, you know, the, the first, I mean, I was drafted to the first XFL, and then the second one uh, came and went uh, due to the pandemic. But the, the, the last season of the Canadian Football League, where the Winnipeg Blue Bombers won the championship, we weren't hearing about, oh, the, you know, the struggles, the difficulties, the problems with the Canadian Football League. Like, that wasn't even, and now all of a sudden, you know, they have this terrible business plan, and nothing's viable, and there's nothing sustainable in the Canadian Football League. And I'm like, they haven't even played. Like, what happened? Like, in 2019, there wasn't this, there was obviously problems. There's always problems. There's always issues that need to be addressed and mitigated in the Canadian Football League, but it was never any of the, you know, disastrous talk that we heard once, uh, uh, you know, uh, advocates and, and uh, uh, people for and against the XFL uh, collaboration started coming out. All of a sudden, all these holes were put in the Canadian Football League that I didn't even know or realize existed. So it's great to finally uh, put an end uh, to that kind of talk and focus on something that is CFL-centric, and that is a shortened schedule starting later, 14 games, and a crazy cold, potentially a great cup in Hamilton in December. By the way, Doug, 20 years ago today was the million-dollar game or the, uh, I guess, the first and still only XFL championship when the Los Angeles Extreme beat the San Francisco Demons 38-6. to Where were you? <laughs> Where was I? Well, uh, 20 years ago today, um, let me think here. I was probably still, so, so that would have been 2001, obviously. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, I was still living in uh, Sterling, Virginia at the time and uh, working for a company called Cable and Wireless as an internal product marketing manager. And uh, little did I know I would be answering a phone call soon, I believe, from Brendan Tamman, um, letting me know that they traded for my rights and then they threw me an offer. And then uh, I, I made my decision uh, while playing tennis um, with then uh, Washington Football Club kicker Brett Conway. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that was nice around the timeline. Awesome. Well, good anecdote there. So uh, <laughs> if you're a player right now, Doug, and you're more than if you're in the states for sure, you get the news today. How are you feeling about this news today? I think you're optimistic uh, for sure. Um, I, I think you know some information is better than none. Uh, I, I think. Uh, Obviously, we, there's still some problems going on with, with the pandemic, but I think there is a light with vaccinations happening, uh, you know, a ramp up uh, schedule. I think there is a way out of here. I think there's a light at the end of this tunnel. And I think, you know, while it's nothing is assured or guaranteed, I think it is feasible. I think, you know, it kind of makes sense when you see this schedule and this timeline put forward. Uh, you think about it, you, you look into the environment we're in right now. Obviously, it's challenging because we're talking about regions across Canada and each one is unique in terms of how they're dealing with the pandemic right now. But I think it makes sense and I, I think it's not a pipe dream, you know. So I think it gives people uh, a, a date of, of hope and a, a construct of, of, you know, a reality shaping up of Canadian football in, in 2021. How would you feel about playing a Grey Cup in December? Or is it basically, hey, we get a Grey Cup. Who cares when it is? Yeah, I mean, not ideal. I would I would say Hamilton in, in December. Well, it's never really an ideal time to be in Hamilton. But um, uh, for a Grey Cup in, in December, like I said, it would be unique. It would be another challenge. You could obviously get a good uh, patch of weather that could make it uh, more hospitable than, than other scenarios. But, 
like I say, everything starting up again is going to be different, obviously, uh, not only with how society is functioning, but obviously professional sports as well. Everything we've seen to this point, uh, obviously things will be just as different in the CFL as they've been everywhere else. It'll be an adjustment. And uh, yet, you know, hopefully it'll be a very memorable season, too, for special reasons. And hopefully it's given everybody appreciation for what we had with Canadian football uh, in this country, uh, especially in, you know, passionate hotbeds like Manitoba. I think this being away from the game for so long, I think when they can get the product back on the field and you can get some level of fans back in the stands, I think it's uh, it's going to be over the top with enthusiasm and, and excitement for this game because, like I said, a lot of things in life, you don't know what you uh, what you had until it's taken away from you, and we've been going for a long time without Canadian football. Again, from the players' point of view, Doug, they, for most of them, haven't played football since the fall of 2019. So yeah. this conversation will obviously happen in a few months from now, but the the ramp-up to get playing again, I mean, when does that start if you're a player? I mean, you've been training for, you know, 17 months now, yeah. off and on, I'm sure. That's a different uh, not, kind of schedule, isn't it? Not, yeah. So, like, what do you – do you start preparing, like, okay, August 5th, it's going to happen, so maybe we ramp it up a little bit? Because they, they must have known that a June 10th start wasn't going to happen. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you'd, you'd be pretty naive to think that that was going to start on time, especially with all the rumors – preceding that but for a player yeah very unprecedented time uh myself uh, never been through anything remotely close granted um my last year of, of football in the states was in 2000 i missed the entire uh well i missed the entire regular season of the 2000 year i went to a few mini camps in, in 2000 but i missed the calendar football year and then i didn't play again until uh 2001 with winnipeg i think i had another uh, mini camp or two in, in the off season there so it, it is challenging it's uh you know if you're a veteran player you, you do have an understanding if you have any time or tenure in the league you understand what you need to do as a player and athlete to be ready once you get a concrete time it makes things better progress from your 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 strength and conditioning to position specific stuff that's the stuff you need to do get your body doing football type drills in order to avoid injury and such preceding preceding a season but for the most part i would just say you know staying in reasonable shape and um tapering your your workout program to uh when you feel like there's an approximate idea of when you're going to be playing i think that's very important but tough spot for guys i mean you want to talk about rust to be shaken off but um hopefully everybody will have it and uh you know there might be a big gap between guys you know you think about some there's a big spectrum of the way guys prepared for football you know say at the apex of that spectrum a guy like milt stiegel that trained insanely hard in, in the off season at all times doing position specific stuff all the time to say the the guy that just kind of showed up and hoped to just live off his talents to get there that gap between uh, preparation points uh, might be even larger uh, in this uh, upcoming CFL season. The, the guys that uh, they might have a huge advantage, the guys that really take care of themselves and, and are sticklers to their programs, that's for sure. We're definitely going to see that this summer, and we're happy if we do see that this summer because that means there's a CFL season, and we look forward to hearing your call with Bob again. It'll feel like summer is right and everything's good with the universe. Doug, appreciate your time as always. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right, my friend. Thank you for having me on. 
we are going to talk about race right now and sports and the Immigration Partnership Winnipeg organization today launched an anti-racism sport campaign. And the campaign seeks to address, disrupt, eliminate racism and discrimination in sport from microaggressions to systemic racism. And here to talk about the campaign is the Director of Immigration Partnership Winnipeg, Hanny Aten Alubidi. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight, Hanny. Uh, tell us more about this campaign. This is a campaign that uh, focuses on, uh, obviously, in sport, but with the specific lens on um, uh, First Nations, Métis, in with Black, racialized, and religious minority um, children and youth, uh, and uh, and making sure that sport is it's um, uh, it's a subject that is uh, it can be explored through uh, difficult conversations, but in 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 safe spaces. And by that I mean uh, through different ways of tackling racism, possible racism in the sport. Uh, in different types of sports, and it can be in a form of training or research, uh, public awareness, uh, uh, or series of workshops delivered to uh, middle school uh, youth and students. So who all is involved in this campaign here in Winnipeg? Well, I think we have over 25 organizations. So that would be like uh, you have Blue Bombers, and you have the Jets, um Sport Manitoba and others. I don't want to start naming because I, I I can't remember all of the partners, but over twenty five organizations. Basically, every everybody that's big in sport in this area. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, like you're talking about um, just about every organization, sports stakeholders. Basically, they are involved, and also our working group or the advisory committee is consists of sports stakeholders and community members. So that in itself is an experience by bringing people together to talk about a difficult subject like racism. And so uh, today it really is just uh, to launch the, the, the campaign itself with, um, with the specific uh, next steps going forward. But six months of prep and planning uh, that already created that space for community engagement uh, and also a space where stakeholders came and sat and, and discussed and, and basically uh, created uh, ways to connect with one another to kind of tackle, collectively tackle racism in, in their own respective uh, organizations, but also throughout the sports field. We've seen a lot from big sports leagues, all the, the major leagues over the last year after the murder of George Floyd. And even yesterday, there were a lot of statements put out by basically every sports team and league uh, about the verdict in the murder trial. That's at the grand top of the ladder. What we're dealing with here is kind of the grassroots. What conversations need to be had at these grassroots levels when it comes to race and sport? From my perspective, is really racism is not... It should not be explored from an intellectual avenue only. It needs to, we need to create space for people to humanize the relationship with one another to have those difficult conversations. Um, intellectually, we will stay in our heads and we would not see the human aspect of our conversation. And for that reason, we can come up with the most compelling 
uh, argument about racism or any other abstract concept. But at the end of the day, we would walk away with no connection. We may, we may be persuaded in terms of as to why and so on and so forth. We're making a business case. Uh, but that's not the case with us. What we're trying to do here is we're trying to raise awareness about the impact of racism. Should, let's say, leave it undealt with. It's going to create a division. We don't need really to kind of wait to, uh, to a glo global event or, or a global example to encourage us to look at our own here. I think we need to be proactive and create that space and have that humanized, personalized uh, connection and relation building type of process where people get connected with the subject and that subject is the impact of racism. You cannot, I don't think any human being would listen to a, a youth or young person telling their stories about how exclusive racism can be uh, and they would not feel those words in their hearts. I would say, I, I, I would invite everyone to open their hearts and listen first. Listen first without judgment. Then you, we would understand racism and the impact of racism. If we are entrenched with our intellectual justification for what racism is all about, we may not move the needle anywhere. And I think that's not what we're trying to achieve here. And I think this is just the start. More to come. Lots of work is ahead of us. But I think it's a good start. And recognizing that there's no one way to deal with it, but one step, I would say prerequisite step, that needs to happen. And that is creating, first of all, creating a space for noticing the impact of racism on our local community and understanding it with our hearts first, not with our heads. What specific activities are planned by this, your movement here to, uh, to get people talking, to get people listening? Okay, so uh, I get, uh, my thinking is, are um, uh, our anti-racism campaign in the sport is not necessarily targeting a specific group. It is for all uh, community, for all society. Uh, the, the racism or discrimination can happen to everyone, regardless of their color, color race, and backgrounds, really. But when you get, a, when you get uh, uh, equity-seeking groups, for example, or marginalized groups that they cannot access sport, it becomes a, a double burden on them and a troubled responsibility on us to do something. And, and I'll give you an example. The example is I was approached by, uh, and this has happened with me, a coach, a coach that coaching younger people. And this person had racist remarks to which I responded and we had a conversation about it. When that person realized what they said was wrong, they came to apologize. The apology wasn't given based on the fact that this is wrong thing and can be harmful to others. It's based on the fear of losing his job. Please don't do much about it because I may lose my job, coaching or whatever role he plays. That's not good enough. That person stays in his head. He's not connected with his heart to understand what impact his words have on me and the people around me. And for that reason, we want to, that's what I refer to is humanizing it. 
Now, if you bring a specific group of people, let's say people who have privilege or they don't know what racism is all about and all of that, it, at, at the end of the day, they're human beings. And I believe that most of Winnipeg, if not like the majority of them, are good people. And, and for that reason, they deserve the opportunity to have conversation around racism in sports. Uh, and some of that racism impacts certain or specific group of people than others. And they need to understand, they need to be part of those conversations. And I think at the end of the day, we have, uh, we have a, a good city, good community, uh, but space is needed to have those difficult conversations. And so it is, it's an open invita invitation to everyone. And it is not necessarily targeting a specific segment of our society. However, supporting specific groups of, of, of our, in our society. And that's the groups that we mentioned earlier. So this, your specific example then, this man came up to you and said, not that he was sorry that he hurt you, but he was just sorry that he got caught, basically? Uh, basically. And uh, I am, I'm sorry because I don't want that to cause me trouble because I'm coaching, I'm coaching kids. How can that, the justification of his action is worse than his action to start with. Do you feel then that kids are more receptive to these experiences and be open to change than adults are? I believe so. I think children deserve an opportunity to learn if they see the action, racist actions or racist behavior or any type of discrimination, if they see the, if they understand the impact of that on people, they, they, they sympathize and they would understand, uh, understand the issue differently. They would feel it. Uh, I, I, I do believe in that. Um, I think if, uh, uh, I, I do always believe in the good, bright side of humanity, and I don't think we're, we don't want to create a gloomy picture of our city or our community, but uh, we don't want to wait for uh, uglier or bigger uh, racist behaviors to happen in sports to react. And that's why we have in this campaign. And we want to reach out to young, old, and whoever that is interested to be part of this campaign. But youth is in particular, and for one simple reason, they are the future generation. These are the future leaders. These are the people who go into deal with the burden of racism if we leave it undealt with. And so I think they deserve better uh, than just a burden. They deserve an opportunity. Uh, uh, facilitated conversations and a safe space to have these type of conversations to learn from instead of to be excluded from. And again, specifically, why sports as a, an avenue for this conversation? I think so. Racism can impact any uh, many different aspects of our life. Sports in particular, I think I find it very incredibly connecting type of activity in human life. And I, I did. I, I played certain, like on an organized team. I managed soccer team for a number of years. Uh, it's multi-ethnic, multicultural soccer team. Uh, and, and, and I can tell you, all politics, all divisiveness, all, um, uh, I would say, uh, uh, destructive uh, thinking, it goes out of the window when soccer or, or any sport comes into uh, um, a good stance of having fun or, or creating a space for it where, where people work as team to achieve a specific, specific result. And I felt that joy. So sport is not only about um, uh, hobbies. Sport is connection. Sport is a social space. It's, um, 
it, it's an invitation to be part of a community. Uh, it gives you that um, a healthy well-being instead of the impact. That's exactly the opposite of the impact of racism, which impacts people mentally and, and incredibly damage their well-being. And so for that reason, sport is creating that sense of belonging and facilitate that type of community atmosphere. And so it goes beyond just physical activity. It's, it's actually healthier to the human being in terms of sense of belonging. And that is incredibly important for our, for our newcomer population who uh, we try so hard to integrate in our society in a healthy manner. So sport is just one avenue, but I'm sure there are, uh, I'm sure there are other avenues that we will explore in the future. But sport is cru- crucially important when, when we talk about sense of belonging. So if people want to get involved with this campaign, what do they do? Uh, we have more than uh, a way, uh, ways to, um, to connect with us and explore what, what our public awareness is all about, uh, what are the series, series of uh, workshops, what is the result of uh, our research project on, on this specific anti-racism campaign, and that they can be in contact with us, uh, with us uh, through uh, the, uh, our uh, anti-racism uh, in a sports project manager, also our uh, IPW project manager and myself, and through our social media um, uh, uh, contact information. And we'll be more than happy to, uh, to not only answer, but if they want to play a specific role, uh, we'll be more than happy to craft that space for them to contribute. Well, I wish you the best of luck with this initiative. It's a great one. T- and uh, thank you very much for the conversation tonight. Well, thank you and have a wonderful day. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre and post game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. And thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the